All right, boys and girls, welcome to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, Tammy, the underdog, Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. That sounded so gay. (laughs) Well, you know, I just hung up from a, a phone call with a friend of mine, so... A friend of mine that she always gets me laughing. Oh, and then makes you feel so gay. Okay, no, no I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. I always down. get in a weird mood. Mm-hmm, Not bet you do. <laughs> Why you always gotta be gross? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. I don't think of everybody like that. I do. <laughs> I know you do. I saw a picture of your dad once. Thought about him that way. <laughs> Have you ever seen a picture of my dad? No. I was going to say, have I ever shown you a picture of my dad? No, you haven't. I'm just fucking with you. All right, so today we got Keith Jesperson calling in, and we're going to be talking about a couple different things. We're going to be talking about um, the fact that Briar Mitchell went down with the cadaver dogs. Right. And they didn't discover his yeah, they didn't, third victim. Yeah, they didn't alert to anything substantial. Right. Uh, and uh, they're, I have I have some comments I'm going to keep to the towards the end of this, because okay. they're the tone changed. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. So, yeah, that's going to be an interesting episode. Yeah. Let's get right into it. I. Hey, good morning, Keith. Good morning. And how are you doing? Well, I'm all right. It's okay. It's another Saturday. Nah, that's true. That's true. Did you like that one snow that we had? One of the things we probably should talk about is that, um, you know, the Oregon State Penitentiary is going through remodeling and... Eventually, they're going to move us out of the honor block over to the big block so they can do, redo the plumbing in A block. Oh. And uh, when that happens, I won't have access to the phone like I do now. Oh, well, that, that kind of makes sense. You know, so it's, we're, we're, the projection on this is around June when they're going to go from A block to we're going to, they're going to do the plumbing here. So in the future, uh, let's say if if we're going to do any talking, uh, May, June, something here, we might want to get this done before. Yeah, it's probably a good idea, huh? <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. So let's, I'm back. <laughs> well, welcome back, Tan. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so let's talk about Briar Mitchell and going to look for your third victim and not finding anything. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think it's a good thing because that just means that my body count went down to seven. I'm true. Right. Of, Rising, I'm I'm not as good as a killer as I thought I was. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, basically, it comes back to it, it's a good thing that she got up and walked away. In other words, they uh, there's no they didn't find it. And of course, we all know that uh, Cynthia Lynn Rose is not mine. I mean, it's, um, if you go to the book uh, Dangerous Ground by Mass William Phelps, he actually has done the research and found that uh, uh, she made her methadone treatment two days after I'd left the area. So right. she was still alive when I was in the area um, heading south to Fresno. So that's not my case. We already know that now. I know the Merced County Police Department, or Sheriff's Office, are pissed off because they've came across with it. They've always stood behind it that I had done since Elin Rose and... and it just made sense to them to just close that case. Well, now they don't. Now they have to reopen the case and go after whoever really did it. Right, right. Years later, and it's just stupid for them to even honestly think that it's your case because drug overdoses wasn't 
your mo. You didn't OD people no. on drugs to kill them. You strangled them. There's a there's a big freaking difference. Well, I was never I never did drugs. That was yeah. just the thing. Well, that's one of the biggest vices I had was that my parents, you know, while we we're growing up, was man, you get caught doing drugs or even marijuana. Oh my God, you know that'd be um, we'd be ostracized from the family if we get drugs. <laughs> Gee, many years ago. Wow. It was bad enough. It was bad enough that we did. You know, we could drink. Of course, my father always had the idea that, you know, I don't mind you drinking, son, as long as you drink at home. And so all the kegger parties were at our house. Oh well, hey, party over Keith's house. (laughs) (laughs) Raise the roof. (laughs) Now, even then, when the kegger parties, and my brothers always had the kegger parties, but I was the designated driver to drive all the drunks home. So there's. You know, as I was constantly every every morning after, is cleaning up the puke out of my car that I drove to them girls and guys home that uh, couldn't make it in their own car. Oh, yeah. Sick, See, man, I would never. Yeah. No, 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 no. I had one girl puke in my car one time, and I made her clean it out. I was like, I am not doing that. No. You got to rub their nose in and smack them in the newspaper. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, with a spray bottle. Bad drunk. Bad drunk. Bad. Yeah, yeah. You need to drive this girl home, Keith. Why? Why? Because she, she can't fucking walk. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll just pick her up yeah. and carry her over my shoulder, you know. Yeah. Like, my old uh, 61 Oldsmobile Super 88 got a, got a well-used uh, <laughs> you know, platform. Mm. Anyway, that's uh, back, yeah. back to the case. Uh, I can't yeah, handle this, puke. This is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is a good thing that... Um, they didn't find anything, which means that there wasn't anything there to find. And uh, the Cynthia and Rose case can be handed back to the Merced County Sheriff's Office, and they can reinvestigate that for the person that supposedly must have done it. Because they, apparently, there's a uh, there's a story that that Cynthia had stolen seven hundred dollars from someone, and and that person was a regular customer of hers. So. Yes, she had a red top on, but she had a skirt on, and the, the one I put there was uh, a red top with blue jeans. So, okay. yeah, I mean, this is, you know, uh, the drug overdose issue, that's, that's, I wasn't into drugs, and I would stay away from that. I was, I was very uncomfortable with, imagine uh, Julie Winningham, my, my eighth victim, when I first met her, she was into the into the marijuana and stuff, and I, I ended up buying her some pot and she wanted me to go buy the pot and I felt very uncomfortable in that scenario going out and just taking a person out to a drug house to buy uh, an eighth of an ounce of weed it just made me so paranoid right yeah I just never I, 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 I didn't like that I didn't like working around people that were in that you know, position to do that well you know and that kind of makes sense too because I mean did they have drug testing back then too for truck driver Scott. Yep. Okay. Well, I imagine yeah, so they did. But, yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I never really had. I remember I was driving in Tennessee or Kentucky, one of the two, and I got into a rest area and I pulled in and I went to sleep and I all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and I yelled, "I don't need any company. Get the fuck away from me!" Right. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> it was a cop. You know, they they came in with a damn drug lab right inside the rest area. They're knocking on truck drivers' doors, waking us up, and having us drug, do a, drug, a piss test, a UA, right there, to find out if we're on drugs or not. 
Wow. And uh, so I told him, I said, okay, I'll piss in a bottle or whatever, but I want the results now. Right. I want I want you to know the results now. I want you to do the test right now and find it, and I and I want the results. I don't want to be waiting in the mail somewhere where you you come up with a, a different conclusion. And so they they give me my test. Oh, you're clean. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Right. <laughs> and uh, they go on to the next step. But that stopped me from stopping in rest areas in Tennessee and, and Kentucky area. Oh wow. I would, I wouldn't stop there anymore. I would I'd go, I would find a truck stop. I would I would go out of my way to find some place where truckers all park. You know, like a regular truck stop. I wouldn't stop at a rest area. I'd, I'd push on through to where I was going and uh, deal with that instead of dealing with the uh, you know the drive-by drug test that goes on in the place. Even though I don't do drugs, but yeah, they found us. you know this is uh, this is the problem with the trucking industry back then. Everyone was like. You know, we're the bad guys. We were no, we were not the knights of the highway like we are now. Right. Back then, yes, they, they some of us were, but they they were, they always came after us. They were, you know, that's that's how come all those all those TV songs you were talking about the damn the DOT. <laughs> yeah, I just listened to Convoy. Yes, well, when I I've been cleaning Scott's house all week, right for his inspection. And I was listening to Outlaw Country, and I love the song Convoy, you know, about outrunning the, so they yeah. didn't have to pay a toll. <laughs> well, but. you know, this is the, this is the, now I, I knew how to get around all those scale houses. I mean, this is what we learned. I mean, this is, the, the companies we worked for taught us where, which routes to take to get away from going, have, going across the scale house. We're going okay. around a port of entry. You take, so we weren't documented crossing state line man i remember in 1987 when they first came out with computers to put in trucks you know for and this is for the trucking industry was trying to uh figure out the idle time and everything like that they're trying to figure their fuel rates and and timelines and 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 i told my bosses this is a bad thing he said why he said well because the department of transportation will know we have this documentation on a computer, and they'll come up with a, a, a ruling where they can get access to this and prove that we, in our logbook, their logbooks are wrong, that we turned in a bad logbook instead of uh, instead of doing where we were supposed to be, we're somewhere else. Right. And, and of course, they had to where, where this one company I was aware of is, every time I, I entered another state, I'd reach up there and program this this was where I was headed when I entered the state on this little computer screen in front of me. It was just a, it was like a, a Bearcat scanner almost, but that's the size of the of the readout. Well, every time I just punch in like that, I said, well, then now they know I, I'm telling on myself when I hit a port of entry. Right. I remember when I went like, okay, so when I wasn't doing that, when I wasn't working for that company, uh, I, w- I was driving for another one, and let's say going into Wyoming, right, from uh, from uh, Utah in that area. So when you come into the port of entry, you pull in, and you take your, your, your paperwork, your bill of lading, your, your, all your bingo slips, slips, everything, all your paperwork for your truck to drive anywhere. You walk in, and you show it to the man in there who's the Department of Transportation. He looks at where you're going and everything. He marks it down on his computer or his paperwork, 
and then you go back in your truck and you drive across the scale and he scales you and you take off and keep on and go back on the freeway. Well, I've learned that if you know, I pull in there and park and wait for another truck that looks like mine to come in and wait for the driver to go in and have, when the driver comes back out of that office, I drive across the scale, then he doesn't register that it's me that's going across the scale, but it's him. Oh. So I'm not even I'm not even documented going across the port of entry, so I can I can avoid the port of entry. And the same with same with dropping down in the Umatilla. I know Scott, you know about dropping in the Umatilla. There's you got a port of entry there. Yep. Off of eighty two. Uh-huh. Well, when I came down there, when I would go down there, I would stay in the left lane along, and I'd tarrow myself with another truck. So when the other truck turned the exit, goes down the off-wrap, I continue on. And the guy at the scale is only looking at the truck coming down, and I'm going, I'm continuing on. Is he going to get in his little truck or car or whatever and chase me down? No. <laughs> no, he's not. Of course not. He's not going to chase me down, not for missing the scale. No way. But that's, that's things you learn to do. You learn that there's barcodes on the, there, there's, there's strips along the highway where it, it's a short way is what it is. And when you cross it, a computer knows about just about how much you weigh. And then they, then they measure the time from that point to the next scale house, and they'll, tell, they'll know whether you're speeding or not. When you cross the scale, there's lots of things that they go after for. So you have to learn that. You have to learn all these things. I'm getting an education today. That you are. That you are. Well, the trucking industry is regulated seriously. Is regulated. This is the problem that people have with coming at me with other crimes. Right. See, they they think it's oh yeah, I'm going to go after this guy. He's a truck driver. He was all over the country. Yeah, I was all over the country, but I was documented everywhere. Exactly, exactly. I have, my, I have my shipping receiving receipts. Here I am, here I am, there. This is what happened in this case here where they, they went looking for the body. Uh-huh. There was no body there. Of course, they also have me in Fresno making my delivery on time, and they have me out of the area when Cynthia Lynn Rhodes is still alive. Okay. So I'm not there. I can't be in two places at the same time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So they have me somewhere else. I'm a thousand miles away, and uh, she's still alive. She goes to a methadone treatment. She runs into this Mexican or whatever his name, you know, whatever his name is, that was in that white semi that was a regular customer, and she was the last one with her at that time. He may not have been the last one that was with her when she died. Right. So. They, they have to go after him and, and follow his. They have to follow him and find out where he was. Right. This is the problem that Merced County has right now, is that they, they know I wasn't it, and now they know that everybody in the world knows I'm not, I wasn't it. This is their biggest problem, is that everybody knows I wasn't it. So right. they have to solve this case again. Instead of just pointing a finger at me, now they have to mm-hmm. dig up and go back Right. All those years back to 1992. As I say, which makes it even harder 40, after you know, all this years, time. 40 years. Yeah. You know. and, then, and the evidence isn't there. I mean, there are people that around the case have died, naturally. Right. You know, I, I wasn't around for them. I mean, I didn't do them either. So. The well, witnesses you know. in the cases. 
And if they're looking for some guy driving a white truck, that could be Scott. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. Maybe it he was Scott. Maybe that's truck. why Scott is on the phone. Maybe that's yeah, why Scott is trying to get me to claim it's mine. It, it's got to be yours, man. I, I, I admit it. I, I was in college at the time, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to drive up to Merced County. <laughs> that's my yeah, goal. Yeah, you, you have, yeah. You know. Well, that's that's the problem I have is like I had you know I have the FBI coming. I remember just last year they came at me and they said, "Well, we're investigating you for a murder that happened in uh, Illinois." You picked up the picked up the gal that was broken down on the side of the road, and and uh, uh, her body was found in Missouri. And I said, "Well, what year was this?" And he said, 19, 1992. And I said, "1992 in Illinois." No, it wasn't me. What do you mean it wasn't you? I said, I wasn't there. The company I worked with, I was on 11 western states, and that doesn't include Illinois or Missouri. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you go into my logbook, and then he said, well, we want your DNA anyway. I said, well, fine, take my DNA, but it just eliminates me. Yeah, exactly. This is, this, it, I am eliminated by all these other these people. I, I remember they came to, at me for crimes that happened happen Lake Elsinore down in California. Well, it really isn't a lake. It's just called Lake Elsinore. It's a pond, more like it. But, That's uh, true. Bodies were found underneath mattresses and stuff like that. And they, 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 they come at you with this, we think it was you. Well, you can think all you want, but if I wasn't there, I wasn't there, Right. Right. And that's where that's where it all comes down to. So, well, they're hoping I'll confess to something that I didn't do just so they could clear their books. Right. And that's basically what they wanted to do with this case where where Dreyer was took the dog down to check out to see whether there was something there or not. Right. You know, it's just I'm not I'm not responsible for every Tom, Dick, and Harry murder in the country just because I killed seven people now. Well, right. you know, there was a there, there was a body that was found in Pakistan, and I'm pretty sure that you did. I'm pretty sure too, because I'm pretty sure uh, he could drive semi across the Atlantic or the Pacific. It right? was it was in 1973. Oh, no, I, no, 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 no. I, <laughs> I had the Star City Enterprise pick me up and put me there. There you That's go. Right. There you go. <laughs> Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> Damn it, Jim! I'm only a doctor. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's like this. Okay, so it's it's like the joke. Okay, so how did AIDS get over to Vancouver Island? Wow. They came across on the ferries like everything else. <laughs> oh, That's snap, dragon! <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was better than your jokes this morning, Scott. I have awesome <laughs> jokes, man. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. So, that's, so we all, you know, anyway, that's a double take on that. But anyway. <coughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's the problem we run into. Everything is, is um, they point fingers, and, and but now we don't have... Number three is no longer number three. It's we move on to number four, which is now number three. <laughs> right. And so, so, yeah, and that was the one here in Salem. What, you dumped her in Salem, right? I dumped her here just a, a mile away from yeah. the prison here. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to make sure I was on the right track because trying to track them all here. So, well, um, you know, the pro- that, that was one of the biggest problems with the, with the press. They would follow along, and they'd, they'd hear the conversation of this, of one case, and then they'd, they'd go to another case, and then we'd talk about the same case again, and they'd, they'd say, oh, there's another one. 
So they, yeah. they started adding them up, and pretty soon I had 22 murders. And I didn't have right. 22. I only had eight, and now it's seven. Right. So, but the press would keep thinking the numbers kept counting, and they kept claiming it, it was, there was more and more. Right. And but, I wasn't which, that bad. I was going to say, which kind of lends credibility to the original claim about the 160-some victims. You know, well, 166 was not right. Was not, I mean, well, I, I know that wasn't killed. true, but yeah. I was yeah. just telling some cop that lied to me. Right. But some cop lied to me about, about his, his, what he was going to do for me, and he, so I lied back to him. And then, of course, that story just ran. I mean, it just ran with it. Right. And that's one of the, that's, those are the, that's, these are the stories that we need to address after we talk about all the murders is that, what happened once I got to jail? Once I got to once I got arrested in 1995, everything that went forward, right? Right, right, right. Like, today is the today is the 25th, right? It is. It is. Okay, so on the 24th of March of, of, of 1995 was when I was arrested when I turned myself in. So oh. this would have been my first day, 28 years ago, of being incarcerated. For wow. First full day. And where was I? I was in Bisbee, Arizona. Oh, yeah, that's right, because um, you had just left uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, right? Yeah, and I turned myself in. I would actually called up the, the detectives in Clark County, and, and the Wilcox uh, Sheriff's Department came up and picked me up right. at a truck stop there about 60 miles east of Wilcox. Right. And then that, I spent that night in Wilcox, and the next morning, which had been 28 years ago today, I was taken to Bisbee, which is a county, where the county, uh, um, Bisbee County um, Jail was at. Right. And then I started going through the process about learning about how I'm not supposed to tell the cops anything. <laughs> right, exactly. Don't say a word. Yeah. Had I Had I just said to... Uh, in Las Cruces back on the 22nd, had I just said, lawyer, I probably would not be here today. I probably would be, uh, I probably would have just astounded up to Canada and I would have stayed up there. And then, of course, there's a lot of possibilities that could have happened in between all that. You know, my family was in law enforcement up there in Canada as well, and I wouldn't doubt that my uncle would have come to visit me and throw me in the back of a police car and drive me down to the border and and pushed me across in the waiting arms of the FBI. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that the family would have done that. I mean, yeah. seriously. I mean, yeah. This is how they would have operated. They would have said, "You're not, you're not going to escape justice," and then throw me in the waiting arms. And then I would claim, "Well, guess what? I'm just serial killer, really, instead of just a regular murderer." So I'm going right. to drag the whole family down, and now you're really going to hate me, right? Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of issues that I could have done now. I remember the, the look on uh, Detective Rick Buckner's face when I said, well, I could have gone to Canada. This whole thing would have not have happened. And he was, <laughs> had that really stupid look on his face like, oh, shit. That could have happened like that. Right, exactly. It's like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so here we are. Uh, like I say, my third murder wasn't a murder after all. She got up and left and walked away and... Uh, I didn't do Cynthia Lynn Rose. I, she was alive when I left the area. So we'll move on to number four, which is the Laura Ann Pentland case. Right. And that one there happened in November of 1992. 
Mm-hmm. I was uh, at uh, Harris Ranch Meats in Selma, California. I picked up a load there of uh, beef, and a half load went to United Grocers in, in Medford, uh, delivered that morning on November 8, 1992. Uh-huh. And I headed north to, uh, I had a delivery to Wearmart, which is behind the G.I. Joe's store, the old G.I. Joe's store in Salem, about a mile away from here, which would have ended up on November 9th, that early next morning. But on the way up, I was thinking about uh, getting laid. I thought about the hooker that I used in Wilsonville. I knew her as Laura. I didn't know her last name. And then I drove past Salem to exit 286, which is Wilsonville. Okay. I ate dinner around 7 p.m. at uh, JB's Lounge, and this just... And this is crazy because uh, this is the same place where uh, where they where they you know where they said that they killed Benedict. Oh, okay. You know where where John and Laverne. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, story yeah. Was that 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 she picked him up there? with her at the uh, Wilsonville at JB's Lounge and everything like that. This is where they said ha- it happened. I had no idea that that's what they were going to say it happened at, but um, that's where I picked her up at. I mean, this is where uh, I pulled in there in the back, and I don't know if you remember the Burns Brothers truck stop there behind JB's. I do. Um, they had a whole bunch of truck rows back there. I think there's like four rows of trucks. The one right up against the back fence was a lot of Schneider used to park the trailers there. And then the next row on up, and I think we had two more rows before the fuel island was. Anyway, I pulled in there, and I parked on the third row. Or towards in, there's, a, there's an exit that goes to the frontage road that goes up to the, the overpass. But anyway, I was parked there, and uh, I had, I'd had supper about 7 p.m., and I went back, and I listened on the radio. I mean, I knew sooner or later that she would be on the lot, and she would get on a CB radio, and, and I heard her advertise at about 9 p.m. And uh, I called her, and I said, okay, I'm down on the third row, and she said she'd be walking down that way. And I got out of my truck, and it was raining pretty hard. It was just nasty weather. Typical Oregon weather, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. And... I just waited for it. She came around in a raincoat, and I introduced myself, and she came with me to my truck. She got in my truck and immediately recognized me as one of her regular customers. Right. And uh, so I, the, the deal was I gave her the, the $40 that uh, she asked for, and that was the normal price that she asked. And that, was, that was for a good hour of uh, entertainment sexually. And she wasn't the prettiest girl in the world, and but all of her plumbing worked, and she knew exactly what to do with it. Right. And so we laid together. We had our, we did our business, and then she was going to get dressed. And uh, we just, you know, it was just for about a good hour laying there. And then, of course, there was the pillow talk. You know, she complained about the weather. She complained about everything. Um, because I was a normal customer. I was just one of the normal people she wanted to talk to, and she felt comfortable talking to me. Okay. And she complained. Like I said, she openly, you know, she she didn't want to be out there. She didn't like her lifestyle. She didn't like a lot of things. 
And I started thinking, what the hell, you know, maybe I could, you know, I, <laughs> I, why don't I end her life and, and keep her from having to do this crap, right? Right. This is, the only problem I have is, see, as a murderer, I didn't think too much of life anymore anyway. I, uh, I kind of like was self uh, uh, imploding myself. I was dealing, dealing with my own problems. Right. And so looking down at her, I told her, I said, I could strangle you right now and, and keep you from suffering. And to my surprise, she just looked up at me and said, go for it. I don't know if she thought I was serious or she thought, you know, whatever, but I was serious. I thought, you know, if I just put her out of her misery, she wouldn't have to come out on the street anymore and do this. Right. So I placed my fist over her neck and I pushed and she died in a short time later. And the question would be, was, did she think I was serious? Well, I think maybe halfway into this, she probably thought I was. Right. But I didn't wow. think, I didn't think much of it. I mean, it just was just, I was just doing her a favor. Right, because at that point, she would have bet you would have thought she was your fourth victim. So it's like, you know, you had already done it a couple of times. So it's just like, whatever. It you just, know. It, murder, murder became nonchalant. I mean, yeah. It was, uh, it was not a no big deal. Yeah. Because I'd gotten away with it before. I just didn't think anything about it. And to me, looking down at her and she was complaining about the weather and everything else, I was like, well, hell, I could. I could end this for you. Put you out of your misery. You don't have to deal with this anymore. Right? So right. that's what I did. Hmm. And then, of course, I started thinking to myself, now, wait a minute. What am I going to do with her body? Now, I could have very easily just opened the door, took her in, and threw her underneath the truck next to me, and drove off. I mean, I would have, that would have been okay, too, because, you know, the, once I got, I got out of there, someone else would pull in and park. And they would have never noticed till the morning, so no one would ever know who was parked next to each other anyway, late at night, dark as it was. Right. Uh, I thought about going back to the back row and, and back in, backing in there and maybe open one of Snyder's tra trailers up and throwing the body in there and thinking that would be kind of interesting for them to hook onto a trailer and go, go over there make a, a, a go to pick up a load and open it up and there would be a one body in there. Remaining. Wow. So I'll call you right back. Okay. All right. All right. Welcome back. Right. Welcome just a back. Just well, a minute, okay, Scott. So I'm writing my resignation letter. No, I'm kidding. Oh, he asked Christ. me what I was writing because I'm over here jotting notes. He goes, what are you writing? <laughs> so so after I, I got done killing her, mm -hmm. this is Laura Ann Fenton, uh, I, took a, I, I took inventory of all her money that she had on her, and there was $240 of it. I pocketed that. And I decided I would drive back to Salem with the body in the trailer, and I thought, well, on my truck, I should say, and I thought that I would find a, a location to put her. And as I drove back to Salem, I was looking at, you know, blackberry bushes and different things like that. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I don't, I'm not in a big hurry. I don't have to be in a big hurry to get rid of her body. I could, I could get rid of it that night or the next day or, or whenever, or the next following night, it wouldn't be no big deal. It'd be, I'd just roll her up, throw her in a blanket and behind her sleeper there and take care of it when I got to somewhere else where I would need to take care of it. But as I drove, I, I, I turned the corner up there in, behind G.I. Joe's. I was going down this side road, 
on one side of the road, there's a couple auto repair shops and stuff. And at the end of the road is the Wehrmacht warehouse. And I looked over and I saw G.I. Joe's, the big building. And behind G.I. Joe's was this big warehouse. And it was dark back there. And there's several trailers parked back there that uh, guys that hauled containers were parked with the dollies and everything was in there. And I thought, well, I saw this big fence. There's a chain link fence about six foot high. And there was a whole bunch of piles of leaves against the fence and some blackberry bushes. I thought, well, why not put it there? So I parallel parked against the fence, and I got out, and I looked around the parking lot to see if there's any cameras or, or whatever looking down on me. And I was pretty well shielded from the building. And I noticed this one spot next to the fence there where they're next to the trailers, and there's some blackberry bush entrails and stuff there. I decided to put the body there and then cover it with leaves. And I did that, and I covered her up with leaves. I made one big pile out of the five little piles. And then I took inventory of my, well, I checked my pocket. I couldn't find my flashlight. And I had this little white flashlight that I carried, just a throwaway. Couldn't find it, so I was looking for it. And then I started digging through the pile of leaves again, and I found that it was underneath her body. And I had to pull my flashlight out and throw all the leaves back over the top of it. And <laughs> it was... I have a history with problems with flashlights. Anyway. I was going to say, this wasn't your first flashlight incident, was it? Well, it's, 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 uh, yes, it was, actually. It was my first one, but my, my second one was the following case. Oh, okay, gotcha. I was going to say, yeah. I, I've heard a flashlight situation before. I did. I thought it was before that, though. So Yeah, so I went, uh, you know, I left, I left the parking lot, and I drove to Walmart, and I waited till morning, about 6.30 in the morning, I went in and got my load off, and then I drove back on out, and as I was driving past the parking lot of GI Joe's, I looked over, I saw the big pile of leaves, Next, and I, I knew that's where she was, and uh, it was, I felt safe that I got away with it, and about two weeks later, now this is about when she was found, she was found when the dogs and cats were came over and started tearing into the pile looking for what was rotten back there. And mm-hmm. so that's when she or her body was found. But two weeks later, I, I pulled into the Burns Brother truck stop at, in Wilsonville. And I pulled in there, and uh, I walked into the uh, truck stop, and every five feet or six feet was a poster with her face on it. Uh, Do you know this girl? Do you know this woman? Uh, uh, or something like that have you seen her or something? And so I wanted to take one of those posters off as a souvenir, but I I couldn't get myself to do it because I thought there's cameras in there watching who would take it off. So I, so I decided to leave everything there. But I looked at it, and it was kind of uh, ghostly. You know, you, you, I'm seeing someone looking back at me that I killed two weeks before. Right. It's crazy. It was really nuts kind of thing. Now, this case was settled uh, in 1995. Uh, matter of fact, on November 8th of 1995, three years after to the day, I was in Marion County to finalize a life sentence in writing. They, they had me on videotape uh, confessing to it. They, I was given a polygraph test, and I passed a polygraph test that I, that I, that I killed her. And 
we went through all the motion on it, and I said, now, the murder happened in Washington County, and I told them that Washington County was going to want to have to deal with this case, and they said, no, they're not. They're, they're not going to get involved. This is their case. They're going to, they're going to, I was going to go to Marin County and stand in front of the judge. Well, that didn't happen, you know. On December 15th of, of 1995, I was in Washington County at the courthouse, and I got 37 and a half years to follow the Bennett case. My story made it to Washington County, so Washington County stepped in, and they they wanted the same. They they wanted to take me to trial. They wanted to take me to, to give me a trial and give me worse than what the deal was meant to be. But in order to get me in Washington County, they had to make they had to accept the deal that Marin County had made to get me to testify to them and give me the same deal. But at the same time, Washington County had to pay Marion County for everything that Marion County had incurred. In other words, all the, all the evidence accumulation, all the time that the cops spent, everything that they spent, all that money had to be paid by Washington County in order for them to have the case. Okay. So I don't know what that was. It might have been in the millions of dollars. I don't know. But whatever their investigation cost to get into this, to have the deal, that's what they had to do. That's what Washington County had to pay in order to have me stand in front of a judge for 15 minutes to say I did it. <laughs> and so they gave me 37 and a half years to follow the Bennett, 30 years. So now I had 67 and a half years straight time before I could get out of and at age 40, that meant I'd be 108 years old before I left Oregon, right? Right. Now, one of the things you might have heard is that in the story that I told that I blamed her. See, this is the blame game that, you, that, the, that the lawyers want you to play, is that they don't want you to ever say that you, you were premeditatively murder someone. Right. So they wanted to blame the victim somehow. So what they had me, so I came up with a story that she had tried to charge me double for the, and that's why I killed her. Well, that's really not what happened. Right. But that was a story I told so that they would, they could argue murder in a second degree. Okay. That's, it's, it's, it's what you, when you get in the legal system, when you're on the street and you're not, you're not caught. Everything's murder in the first degree. Everything's premeditated. But right. when you get arrested, the lawyers stick you down. They go, like, the worst thing you do is tell the cops anything. And the worst thing you do is, is tell them the truth. The worst thing you can, you know. And they, they, they try to say, well, we need to establish some kind of storyline that allows us to plead you down from a murder in the first degree to a murder in the second degree or manslaughter. That's how that's how all these other cases, when you see them in the news, they're come up, well, he was nuts at the time. He was crazy when he did it. Right. You know, it's like the guy that, it's like that one uh, in Texas where they uh, they're going to execute someone. They said, well, he's, he's too crazy, he's too crazy uh, to execute because he didn't know really what he was doing, right? Right. So, but it, it it'd be beneficial to kill him anyway because he was crazy. Right. There's no point saving him because he's nuts anyway, right? Right. Yeah. So that was the basis behind my, my fourth murder. 
like I, you know, like I said, I got 37 and a half years to follow. Now, at, while I was in court, the only one there to represent Laura was her pimp. And oh, wow. she was, and she was a working girl there at the truck stop as well. And I think I've, I think I've screwed her a couple times too. Literally. Oh, wow. Her madam. But anyway. <laughs> Pardon? The her madam. madam. No, she was, she was, uh, she, she kind of like was the partner. Oh, okay. I guess. You know, I was told later that she was the uh, she was the pimp, but wow. she never. You know, pimps were supposed to look after the girl, but this one really was just looking after the money. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, anything you want? Any questions? Uh, not on this one. I don't think. I'm okay. still trying. I'm still trying to think. You know. Still trying to go through it. Oh, wait, no, I do kind of do have a question. I did have one come up. So what would you feel like if it, if it was determined that your uh, third victim, the one that they couldn't find any remains of when they did the search recently, actually might have gotten up, walked away, and died somewhere else? You know, but you were still responsible for that murder. Well, if that's the case, then... They'll have to prove it, right? Right. Because it's, if it died somewhere else, if she got up and walked off and died somewhere else, and uh, I wouldn't know where that somewhere else was. Exactly. Exactly. And so because there is that where, possibility too. Well, you know, they might look for that. Mm-hmm. And if the if the identification is that she's wearing a red top and blue jeans and sneakers and. Um, yeah, and had worked as a prostitute up there at the Sherlock Rest area, then that would be uh, a reason to come after me to ask the question whether, and then they'd come in with, with a, a facial recognition right. to see whether I'd recognize who that person is or not. Right. And right. if it was, if it was that person, I would I would say, okay, that's that's mine. If that was, if that was actually mine, right. I would say it's mine because... I have a deal in writing with Merced County to a life sentence on a murder that I produced there. Now, if it if it turns out that she got up and walked off and died somewhere else and they found her, then, of course, if I'm able to recognize who it is, I would say, yes, that's mine. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering if you had thought about that possibility as well, you know. I've never thought about it. I, oh. I thought if she got up and walked away, she made it somewhere else and she's... Uh, alive and well and probably no longer in the business and it it was like the scared straight program well yeah no i get it Literally. i get it yeah yeah <laughs> more than that yeah <laughs> yeah so but yeah no so i i mean i understand what you're saying i was just you know trying to see if you know if you I'm not that hide thought. from it I, I, right i, I, I know that hide from my crimes at all right I, i've openly I, I can i actually turned myself in i uh, when, when I read the affidavit from the, uh, when they came after me on, in 1995 when I was down in Arizona or, or Las, Las Cruces, New Mexico, once I read the affidavit and I realized they, they had me, I, I didn't hide from it. I, I went ahead and said, okay, I did it. Let's do this. Let's get this right. over with. Right. I remember because that. I knew I was caught. I was caught. I just knew I was caught. Now, had I, had I said lawyer when they came and talked to me, I might have, I might have learned more things, and I might have ended up in Canada. But at the same time, with my family and law enforcement up there, I'm pretty sure they would have kidnapped me and thrown me back in the waiting arms of the FBI at the border. I'm something along those lines. 
Right. But that never happened, so we don't have to worry about it. So. Okay. You know, in in May of in May of 1995, I met with my attorney Tom Phelan in a, in a room, and we discussed all of my cases. And right. He asked me what we wanted to do, and I said, "Let's take care of everything. Let's solve everything. Let's just not not hold anything back because." When you hold things back from them, it gives them their glory, gives the cops their glory. They think they've solved something by pushing the issue. That's like that's like we in the my my seventh murder or now sixth with with the Andrew Sabrees case. I had openly told everybody that I dragged her under my truck. Right. My lawyer was mad. He says they're going to kill you for that. And I said no. Uh, the reason why I told them that is because they would, of course, the prosecutor would want to hold on to that until they got me into court. Then they would throw that at the jury, and it would it would startle the jury. Oh, my God, he dragged her. But I wanted my future jurors to talk about it at Starbucks before I had a trial. I wanted them to know why I did that. Right. I didn't want it to be a shock. And that's right. the only reason to have a trial is to bring out the evidence. So why not have all the evidence out before trial? And therefore, it kind of makes a mockery of a trial. In other words, the only reason you're supposed to have a trial is for to expose the evidence. But if all the evidence is out there, why have a trial at all? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. Well, you know, but most people say they look at me and they go like, "Well, you manipulated the legal system." Well. Yes, but the system is there to manipulate. They, the police manipulate it. The prosecutors manipulate it. They, they know how the system works. Right. And they, they come after us because we don't know how the system really works. And so they, they push the issue. It's not, it's not okay for us to lie to the FBI, but the FBI can lie to us. Right, Exactly. So, you know, if they can do it, why can't I do it back? Well, then it's a felony to lie to the FBI, but they can lie to us. Oh, yeah, they can lie, they can lie their butts off in an interrogation. Exactly. Well, look what, ha- look what happened to, to Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. You know, I mean, they're, they're going after the poor guy, and he's no longer president. Yeah. Well, just... we, that's, that's an argument we could all have all, every day, but um, which side do you want to be on? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, so I know that on. police lie so all the time in interrogation. So number five, I guess, huh? Yeah, so number five, which would be... Um, Patricia Skeppel. Right, the other one down in California that was just ID'd last year. Yeah, she was identified in, in April of, of 2022. Right. Using the DNA from the Ancestry.com thing that they... People get this at Christmas time. They get a, a, a you know, submit your DNA to find out who, you, what nationality you are, and then of course out pops a possible murder victim, and then right. they come running at you and go like, "Well, we just solved this," and, and that's what happened there. Her identity was solved by Ancestry.com. Right. Well, well, this happened in in May of 1993. Uh, there's a lot of things that happened between my murders. Like, like I said, in, in November, I, I killed my fourth or my third now. But now, in, in jumping ahead, this is May 1993, so this is another six months up the road. 
Right. This isn't, you know, my murders weren't like, you know, one week here, another week here, another week here. This is not, that's not what I was doing. I was, I was kind of like cruising around the country and as things happen, things happen. Right. I didn't, I didn't push the issue. I didn't go looking for victims. Right. But this is how this one landed anyway. So in May of 1993, I was headed to Salinas, California to pick up a load of produce for associate grocers. I was empty. My trailer was empty. We had to run down there with several trailers of ours. We were headed down to pick up loads that the produce was needed up north. And since we didn't have any loads going down, it's it kind of like, uh, you know, I hate to do that. I hate to run empty anyway, but that's, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to get me down there quickly. As I was heading south, there was heavy rains. Um, here we are raining again here. It was heavy rains, and everybody in the truck stops, uh, anyone that lived out there, in, uh, you know, underneath the bridges and, and in fields was either homeless or they had tent city or lived in underneath a cardboard box. They all were trying to get out of the rain, and they all went into the buildings, ones that would allow them to get into. Okay. And I pulled into Corning, California, and I parked in behind the petrol truck stop of the south, the south exit. And I was only about three doors away from, I mean, I was about three slots away from the, the back door is where I parked my truck. And I walked in, and there was, people standing everywhere. Um, there was no place to, you know, hardly any place to stand. Uh, I went over to the Iron Skillet restaurant, and it was packed. It had everybody was just sitting down. And I noticed the booth was emptying out where people got up from there, and they all were leaving. I hurry up, ran over, and I jumped in the booth. And I sat down, and, and that's before the waitress were able to clear off the, the table. And I wasn't there probably two minutes. And three other drivers come walking over, and they say, hey, can we join you? And I said, well, yeah, go ahead and sit down. And so they did. They all sat down. We introduced each other. I can't remember their names. But we were sitting there. And as I, I I'm a people-watching person. I like right. to look around and see what's going on around me. And so that's what I was doing. I was just sitting there, I was looking around, and I saw people staring at this woman that was sitting at the bar on a bar stool. And she didn't have anything in front of her. She just, she was looking at all the meals going by. She looked at them and, and he kept walking. I knew she was starving. She was wet, soaking wet. She came out of the rain. She needed a place to stand. She found a place, but she had no money to buy anything. And people were staring at her and pointing at the, you know, the waitress come over and they point at her and said, can't you get rid of her? She's not supposed to be here. You know, she's kind of an eyesore kind of thing. And when I saw this, I said, this became an experiment of mine, right? Oh, I'm right. sitting there thinking, how do I make this, how do, how do I get the best service in the house and, and, and solve this problem for the girls that are, or hearing it from all the other drivers, right? So the waitress comes over, and I point at her. I said, okay, you see that? See that woman over there? And and I, I knew the waitress was gonna, was going didn't want to hear it. And I said, I told her, I said, I tell you what you do. You 
go over there and you tell her that she can buy anything off the menu, right? You can right. You tell her that she can have anything off the menu and I'll pay for it. But don't tell her who's paying for it. Right. Just so, just to say that someone in there decided to give her a meal to make her feel, you know, that, to fill her belly or whatever, just to make it all, all better. And, and in doing that, the waitresses around there wouldn't have to deal with it. Right. And, and the company, does, their policy is not to feed everybody for free. If they if they hadn't if they were to give her a meal and say and say they bought it, then every homeless would, would come in there and expect a meal. Because she right. would let everybody know. So she went over and and told her and she ordered a soup and a sandwich. They put it on my put on my ticket. Now the guys that I was sitting with, who I didn't know, they were they were looking at me like, "What the hell are you nuts?" Right. I was like, "No, it's all right." I mean, she has to eat two, and you're going to get the greatest service in this place because every waitress in here had to deal with someone telling her to get rid of her. And now she, they don't have to get rid of her because now she has a plate of food in front of her and she's eating it. And everyone thinks, oh, and now she's a paying customer, so she's okay. It's like it's like dealing in a, if you were a chicken in a chicken coop and you were the one being pecked on. Right. You'd feel pretty relieved not getting picked on anymore. Right. And that's basically what went down. Now, every waitress came over to our table and made sure our coffee was filled. Right. We got the greatest service in the whole damn place. Right. And it was the greatest, you know, this is, just, this is how it worked. It was a great, a great experiment. It worked really good, right? But she wasn't supposed to tell the girl that, who paid for the meal, and, and, she, and she didn't. I could see that the, she got up and kind of looked around to see who paid for it, but I, I didn't want her to know. I didn't want to have her come and hump my leg over there at the table. <laughs> it, it down, just something down. Those lines. But, <laughs> yeah, get down. <laughs> so after our meal, we all got up, and, and of course the place, you know, someone else sat down. But I got up, and I went over and paid the meal, and I walked on out to the out to the uh, area where everybody stood around, I noticed people watching her and also watching people who were watching her. Right. This is, like, this is a typical, everyone's in everyone else's business kind of thing. And she leaves the restroom, she comes out, she's standing at the back door looking out at the rain. And I walk up right next to her, and I could have said nothing. I could have said nothing. I could have just walked off and just left her standing there. Well, I walked up behind her, and I stood right next to her, and I said, you know, you could have had more than just soup and a sandwich. You could have had anything you wanted, but that's okay. And I knew when I, when I brought out my attention that I was the one that paid the meal, I, she just stood there and didn't speak. You could, you could think that she's probably trying to evaluate why am I coming out with that now, right? Right. So it was kind of like I baited her. I told her I was heading south to Salinas, had to be there in the morning, and then I just left it there. And and then she spoke, said, well, I have a sister in Sacramento. She would like to see her again, is what kind of like what she said. And I said, well, I'm heading by Sacramento. I pointed to my semi, and I told her that I had to catch up on my paperwork, my logbook. 
and then I'm leaving, right? And then I opened the door, and I walked out to my truck. I didn't wait for an answer. I sat up underneath my dome lighter, and I did my logbook, like I said I was going to do. And I looked over, and I saw her still staring at me. And then when I turned on my headlights and put it in gear, and I released my air brakes, I was about ready to leave. She comes, she opens the door, she runs over to my truck and climbs in. Okay. And, yeah, so now she's in my truck, and we pulled out on the I-5, headed south, and I was headed towards Sacramento. And as we drove south, she talked up a storm. Um, she was getting comfortable in there. I noticed that she looked pretty nice there with her hair dry and her clothing was all drying up. And uh, we talked about, you know, I'm going to have to find out which exit we have to pull off in Sacramento. I have a Randall McNally book. and I know, Scott, you probably have those. Although now they probably have GPS and you don't even have to have the book. I was going to say, Scott yeah. doesn't even know what a Rand McNally is oh, anymore. Oh, no. I, I <laughs> used those for a lot of years. And every I used year, to use them too. every year you would buy a brand new you had to. Rand McNally because highways change. Well, they do, but they also, all the truck stops, you know, the extra truck stops. I had a Rand McNally overall for the United States and I had all the, had little red spots there with, with a little, you know, it had a little insignia, and that, that it showed all the truck stops. Right. Okay. right so right. I knew where all the truck stops were on, on the highways. And then, of course, it also had all the scale houses, torque entry, and other things in there that truckers need to know, right? Yeah, like legal and limits that, and, you know, and things like that. And then, of course, that. every city like Sacramento or Los Angeles, you know, the, the, the Randall McNally from Los Angeles is a book in itself. <laughs> True. So I had a book for that. I had a book for, uh, you know, if I wasn't going to Fort Worth, Dallas Worth, I had a book for that. I mean, every time I went into a different, I'd pick up a different Randall McNally book, not just a not just a regular map, a book. Right. And I'd roll this out. So I, so I started talking to her about it, and she was talking about Sacramento, and then she also talked about her sister, and she said, I don't know if I want to go to Sacramento anymore because the last time she was with her sister she stole from her for drugs and stuff. So she was kind of like Ian Iron at the time. So I pulled into the Williams area rest area and I pulled in her park and I went out and used the rest and came back in and and I grabbed my Marital now and I sat in the sleeper with her with underneath the light. I said, where am I going to drop you off at? And she was starting to take her clothes off, and she said to me, I just don't want to get pregnant. Oh. Well, there and you go. And I was like, well, okay then. You know, I mean, this is, I have a feeling that when she was looking out of the building into the rain, she didn't want to go in the rain anymore, that she was looking for a place that was dry and warm and, and want to be there. I got it from her that I think that she wanted to stay with me and not go see her sister, that she wanted us to be in a nice, warm, dry truck and not have to worry about, you know, going out in the rain anymore. Right. And so, yes, uh, I got undressed, too. We went and we had sex, laid down, and then the pillow talk and all that stuff that came along with that. And I just felt I didn't really want her in my life any no, longer. Remaining. All right, that's our last one. Uh, Let's let's actually pick this up next week. 
Okay, I suppose. <laughs> I'll talk to you in a minute then. Bye. All right, there we go. All right. Okay. So, so I ended up killing her in the Williams Air Rest Area. And part of me, I really didn't want to do it, but again, I was so used to killing what the hell, I, I just did it anyway. And then I went, and then I had to figure out, now where am I going to put the body? So what did I do? I drive south on I-5, and I get down to... Santa Anella, and I take, I, I head towards Gilroy on 152. I get up, there's a summit up there. I pull up over the summit and down about a mile down the other side, and there's a wide spot. And I get out and I walk around uh, up against the hill, and I find a pile of boulders up there, up against the hill there. I decide that's a pretty good idea where I'm going to put her. So I go back to the truck, I throw over my shoulder. And I walk over to this pile of rocks, and on my wrist, I got this black and yellow flashlight. Uh, it has a little little cable that's hooked around my wrist, and it's a uh, it's a rubberized. It's got uh, a, a push button on the very end that turn it on and off. And I'm walking back out there, and I pick her up, and I throw her in behind the boulder. And what I didn't realize is that the flashlight falls off my wrist, breaks off my wrist. And that is that is a, how I'm able to tell them that that's my body that I put there. Now, I get out of there and I leave and I go down to Gilroy and I do my load and all that kind of thing. But they find her body. Another truck driver had stopped in and found the body and called it in. And the original coroner that looked into, into this, this case, the original coroner called it a drug overdose. Right. And when the when I was dealing with the Bennett case in in 1995, this is one of the cases where the coroner stepped in and said that I I didn't kill this person that I lied just like I supposedly have lied in the Bennett case. And they said, "Well, this was a drug overdose. This wasn't even a murder. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. He just he might know where the body was, but that's it." And so they that's where they went with that. And then of course after I proved I did the Bennett case, and then years later, about 11 years later, in, in 2006, a new coroner looked at the coroner report and decided that it was now a murder instead of a drug overdose, and I was going to be charged in the murder. And the only and, and I thought that the only way I could get them to push the case was to say that, yes, I killed her, but I also had sex with her. And even though it was consensual, they they wanted to push it to say that it was not. And I'd make that argument. I would take a polygraph test if they gave me one, and I would prove it that it was. But anyway, in uh, April of 2022, they would identify her. Now, in 2007, in July of 2007, they had me down in front of a judge, and I picked up a life without parole in California on that. And that's also to run consecutive to my other cases. Right. And by then, and by then I already had, uh, um, I already had the, the Bennett murder and the Pentland murder and I had the Julie Winningham murder and I also had the Andrew Sabrese murder all settled. Right. And then, yeah. And so my second murder, of course, um, in Riverside would be settled in 2010. So that would be my last one I had settled. But in this case here, 
in, in last year, in April of 2022, the Ancestry.com stepped in, and that's how they located. Up until that time, she was just a Jane Doe. Right. Now, I do have a really bizarre question for you. Sure. Because yeah. you have mentioned throughout all of, you know, telling us about your different cases and everything, and even between them, that you always carried around a pair of binoculars and would kind of, like, park somewhere and, like, look off into the distance using your binoculars, right? Yeah. Did you ever at any point think, is somebody doing this to me? Well, yeah, it did happen. Okay. As a matter of fact, I, I have a story for you. Okay, so I was actually in Gilroy. This happened in 1988, somewhere uh-huh. in there, about 88 or 87. 80, I was driving for uh, Ray Hair Trucking out of Yakima. I was parked in the northwest corner of the Shell truck stop in Gilroy. Okay. That's right on the corner of Highway 101 and 152. Now, I was parked there, and I was scoping out the parking lot, and there's a, all of a sudden, over the radio, I heard this guy yelling, hey, you at the Brockers, quit looking over in my direction, and anything that happens at my truck is none of your damn business, right? Okay. Now, I know, I know that this guy had a pair of binoculars, too, because how the hell would he know I had binoculars? Because I was still in my truck behind my windshield looking out, right? Exactly. So this guy was spotted, man. He said, "What? Well, no, he was driving a really nice Peterbilt, blue and colored, beautiful Pullman Reaper parked there. And there was an empty parking spot next to him, between me and him. And he was about 150 feet away. So he gets out, him and his girlfriend get out, and they go into the truck stop to have a bite to eat. And I'm sitting there. And in comes another truck and a tractor trailer. And he comes in looking for a parking spot. And the only parking spot he is available is right next to this guy's truck. Right. So what does he do? He kind of blinds in. He doesn't pull. He doesn't come in from the left. He pulls in from the right, and so his trailer hits the front of this truck and and does real damage and lays radiator fluid on the ground. And this guy did a lot of damage to the trailer and truck and trailer. And I looked at the. You know, I looked with my knockers. I looked at uh, the truck number and what was the trucking company, and I wrote it all down. And this guy saw the damage he did. He gets back in his truck and he drives off and he goes north on Highway 101 up towards San Jose. Anyway, so this guy comes out of the truck stop with his girlfriend, and they walk over and they see his truck is damaged, and he's pissed off, of course. He's looking. He starts asking around the whole truck stop, who did this? And, of course, everybody said, well, why don't you ask the guy back there with the binoculars? <laughs> wow. So, so the guy comes, and, and he eventually makes it around to me, he asked the guy next to me in the Kenworth, he said, what's going on? He can, did you see what happened to my trailer and truck and trailer? He said, uh, yeah, yeah, I did, but I didn't write anything down, but I'm sure the guy next to me did. And so he came over and he said to me, he said, well, did you see what happened to my, my, my rig? And I said, yeah, I did. I actually got it all written down. And he says, you do? And I said, yeah. Well, give it to me. And I said, no, I can't do that. And he said, why not? He said, none of my goddamn business. <laughs> right? Yeah. And he was like, What? I said, no, I give it to you. Well, you've got to. It's it's it's, it's law. And I said, it's not the law. I'm in a damn parking lot. I don't have to give you a freaking. So yeah. he, he kicks off, and there's a, a highway patrol office just across the street on up there about a half a mile. He goes up there, and he gets a cop. And they drive back, and the cop's parked over there, and the cop comes over, and he says, did you see what happened in this truck? And I said, yes, I did. 
I wrote down everything. He says, well, why don't you give it to him? He said, well, he told me earlier to mind my own damn business, but I tell you what, I'll give it to him for $500 because the last time I got involved in something like this, it cost me a day in court to deal with this shit. So you give me 500 bucks, I'll take care of it. Well, the cop turns around and walks over to the guy and says, just pay the guy, and he'll give you the information. You can recoup that from the guy that ran into him, right? Right. So he, the, the guy goes over to the truck stop, and he calls his boss, tells him what happened. But he's trying to okey-doke his boss out of $1,000 right. pay me. So he gets 500 and I get 500 so anyway, the guy wants to talk, the boss wants to talk to me. So I talked to him. I told him, yes, and I, I got all the information. He said, but the last time I stuck my neck out, I, got, I spent a day in court, and I didn't want to do this. So what ended up happening was he cuts me a check, a comm check, which is, you know, Scott knows what that is. And he got a comm check for 500 bucks. Well, I told him it was 500. He said, what do you mean it's, it's not 1,000? I said, no, I, I told your, your guy it's, it's 500 bucks. I'm not going to charge 1,000. So he knew his his his, his guy is trying to okie doke him out of another five hundred. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, the comp check clears. I tell him the information. Within a couple hours, they 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 run down the company that they did is is, and they get the driver. The driver admits he did it, and they pay the bill. Everything's fine. And from what I understood is they fired the guy for lying to his boss. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and that's that's from and, and that's and I know that when he told me to mind my own business, I know he had a set of binoculars too. Right, yeah. Because I so, was just thinking, like, were you ever worried that somebody was like doing watching you as you were like disposing of your victims or anything? Well, that's one of the reasons I never left Laura Pentland's body in the, in the rest in the uh, truck stop because I did, I always thought that there right. are other people watching other drivers. There's no reason because I watch, I watch what's going on around me. I mean, there's, you may not be able to sleep all the, all the time, so why not get up and look at and watch people? Right, that's, that's entertaining as hell. Right, it right? is. So it is. I watch. <laughs> you go to the mall. I mean, I know a lot of people who go to the mall and sit there in the mall and watch people come and go. That's one of the, yeah. I've done that that's many times. That's how I got my. That's how I got my date for my twentieth high school reunion. See I went to the yard, you know, the, the the down to the mall, the Valley Mall, and I was sitting there, and I saw this girl walk by, and I just, yeah, she looked interesting. I walked up to her, and she turned around, and I kissed her, and she said, "What?" I said, "How would you like to be my date for my twentieth high school reunion?" And it's this weekend. And she said, "Yeah, okay." And that's how I got my date. And then, of course, wow. after the reunion was over. I had people that were in my, my my class asking me where my wife was. I said, what, what do you mean my wife? Is that girl with you on your 20s? I said, I just met her the day before at the mall. <laughs> See, that's <laughs> how Scott that's met his is. third wife. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Which one was the third? Oh, no. no I, I I got her out of a dumpster. <laughs> and when I, picked her up for, when I picked her up for the weekend, I went up to her dad's house. And where they were at, and and they had an irrigation system put in by Muffet and Sons, and I was probably one of the operators on there that actually put it in. So it was a small world, right? Wow. Yeah, it was, that is it's crazy. crazy. That yeah, but you know, I met her at I met her at the mall, and she's a very nice girl. 
you know, she's probably my age. I didn't, I didn't ask her how old she was. Well, we had, a, we had a, the next morning, you know, when I picked her up, I took her down to the Thunderbird. We had breakfast. Then we went to Sela and we enjoyed the activities of my 20th high school reunion. And later that night, went to the dance. And then right. I drove her back home. And no, we didn't. I did not have sex with her. Mm-hmm. I wish I did. And I you wish did, I had. And he didn't murder didn't, her, so that's I good. I I didn't murder her either. <laughs> yeah, I brought her straight back to her house, and uh, I probably, you know, everything would be okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I it's mean, just one of those things. I know. I like to go people watching at the mall with somebody and, like, come up with, you know, we have our own idea of what their conversations are or what they're thinking in their head. I love doing that, too. I had, a, I had a friend of mine my, my named Katie, and before she got married, we would go to Walmart and go mullet hunting, looking for people with mullets. <laughs> we did that a lot. Yeah, well, it was a blast. Well, if you read lips, and I read partial lips, I don't read all of it, but I can read some lips. And you get kind of the the gist of what's going on. Right. It's comical. It really is. I mean, the, the fighting, the arguing. The husbands are being dragged around by their wives. It's great. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> to go purse shopping. <laughs> uh, you go around looking for everything. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Honey, yeah. come here. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the poor guy, you know, has that look on his face like if somebody would shoot me right now, that would just be, that'd be awesome. That would be, somebody, I, yeah, I, would, just shoot me. I would enjoy yeah. somebody coming up in this mall and just opening fire right yeah, now. Like, I wouldn't even fault of just drop me first because yeah. if this crazy ass woman drags me to one more freaking mm-hmm. store to look at candles, there's, I'm going to kill her. There's going to be a homicide right here at Vancouver Mall. Registering for well, what wedding? It's like when you go driving in a car, you know, how, how how far do you have to drive before you want to reach over and, and tag her a little bit? So what you shut the hell up? No, no, I've been there with some of my ex-wives. Yeah, driving down the road, and all you want as a guy is just some peace and quiet. And you try, you try to kind of tell him that. And, the, and then Becky told me that like Brad did this. And you're like, oh my god, I swear to fucking god, why am I with this woman? Holy shit, I need drugs. You know, but well, my, let, let me just say this: my wife went went trucking with me for about a week and a half. And she got out of the truck later. She said, I'll never get back in the truck again. And, and, and her idea with trucking was that thought it was going to be a vacation. And I tried to tell her, I said, this isn't a vacation. You know, we have, I have deliveries to make, and I have to pick up and stuff like that. And she called ahead to, to Phoenix to say to the family, some of her family, that we're going to be stopping by and visiting. And, of course, yeah. when she wakes up, she's in, in Nogales. She said, what happened to Phoenix? I said, we unloaded her at 2 in the morning. <laughs> what are you thinking? I'm going to sit there and wait for you till 9 o'clock in the morning to go see this person that has, a, you know, an orange tree in a backyard? What the yeah. hell? I mean, this is not a vacation. Yeah. And, and she slept most of the way. She literally <laughs> watched. And, of course, when we went across the Hoover Dam, she looked down and saw one corner where she turned the corner to the left. And you and the pastor side was looking over the edge, you know, eight hundred feet down to the river. She threw herself in the sleeper and said, "Wouldn't come out because she was scared." Right. Wouldn't, wouldn't come out until we were up to Kingman. We we're down near to Kingman before she climbed out of the sleeper. That's crazy. Yeah, this is this is the problem with you. Know, a lot of people think that truck driving is a vacation. Yeah, no. You, said you drive up and down the road, and how how cool is that? And I said, you know, there's no work involved. 
But there is. I mean, there's, there's a lot of time. In the old days, in the old days, there's people popping pills to stay awake, to drive all the way across the country without stopping, without oh, fuel yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I never did that. I never used those type of drugs. If I was tired, I'd pull the side of the road and lean against the steering wheel for a while. Right. Just until it got daylight, then I was okay for a while. This is true. This is true. See, that's the thing, though, Scott. I have something to say about that, oh, Mr. God, here no, we go. listen. Listen to this. After you got off work and I'd pick you up from work when I was staying here for a little while, I would purposely be quiet. And then you would come across with, do you ever think that little people have small conversations? <laughs> they argue about little oh. things. Yeah, argue about little <laughs> things. I and am, I'm like, <laughs> you know, so. I'm the king of bad jokes. Like, I am seriously the king. I will think of just the weirdest shit to ask. You know, like, if two midgets are arguing, are they just arguing over some little shit? <laughs> yeah. Well, trucking is. Trucking is that way. I mean, you're, you're, you see a lot of things on the road. I've had people drive by, get out of their sunroof, drop their bra, and show me their tits, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, and and I'm looking times. at them going like, oh, then, then I have to grade them, right? so-so. <laughs> eh, Those are okay. Whatever like that. Did you keep? Did you keep flashcards by your, by your seat with one through ten? Oh, my God. I should start doing that. <laughs> Well, no, actually, if you want to go down that road, I went to uh, down there at uh, uh, Wheeler Ridge. I actually made a whole bunch of cards like that and set them down on the uh, on the cruise road right there. And we we judge people going by. We hold up cards. That was <laughs> That's our entertainment hilarious. That and is hilarious. I came back weeks later, and they still had the cards, and they're still playing the game. Just <laughs> <laughs> funny. I went into a gift shop. I bought all these cards. I made a whole bunch of cards, one through ten. I handed out like five sets of them to the guy sitting there as, as you walk in. And there's a, a row right there, like the breezeway. And we were judging people going by. And uh, it, it was comical. It was, it was absolutely comical. And then a couple of weeks later, I come back and they're still doing it. Wow. Wow. It's good times, good yeah. times. <laughs> that is crazy. See, I don't but know. It, we we do anything for entertainment. Oh, I'm because, sure. I'm sure. Because we're we're start, That's the trouble with trucking. You 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 go somewhere and you wait to get loaded, or you wait to get unloaded, and there's all this hurry up and wait bullshit. Nowadays, right. I'm sure with the with the log books no longer in existence, and all you have electronic logs, that you have to stop and wait for eight hours somewhere. Ten. And if you have to wait for eight hours somewhere, you're going to have to entertain yourself because you can't always sleep in that eight hours. Yeah, it's a, it's ten hours now. It's a, uh, you can drive for eleven still. You can work for fourteen, uh, and uh, you when you shut down, you have to be off duty for ten hours. For ten hours, okay. What are you going to do for ten hours? Grab your golf clubs, go to the local golf club, and run eighteen holes. Yeah, and that's, that's and what that's I would true. do. I'll tell you, the dumbest thing is that you got to stop for a thirty-minute lunch. You have to log off for thirty minutes. That's stupid. I mean, like like everybody else, I eat while I drive, so I don't really need to stop and take. I don't need to stop and take a break. I just want to get to where the hell I'm going and be done with this shit. Yeah, but it's all electronically logged. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. You have no choice in the matter. You have to do this. Yep. Back in the old days, I would run twenty hours straight. And then at the end of 20 hours, I'd sit down, okay, I had to, I had to show eight hours off somewhere. 
Right. And still be there where I'm at, you know, and, and then hopefully no one will check my logbook until I'm, my, log, my logbook caught up to me. Right. You know, I had that 10 and 8, 10 and 8, 10 and 8, 10 and 8, until I got to where I was going. That's crazy. And there's, there, there's times where I actually had a logbook in there for a co-driver that didn't exist. You've <laughs> been there. I have been there. I had a guy that I had a guy in Ellensburg that would sign on. He would fill out the logbook, just fill his name in, and so I turned him 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 in with my other log <laughs> as a team drive across the United States back and forth. I'd run a solo logbook while I'm running their solo. That when I got through across the country, I run run it as a team and send that in for my paperwork. You guys are so bad, I, bad I could people. Legally, I could legally get the product there, like like leave on a Wednesday from Hood River and deliver in in Lakeland, Florida, on a Saturday morning by myself. Wow. What am I going to do? I'm going to drive all the way there, and I'm not going to stop except for fueling and a few meals, right? Right. And that's it. See, that's you the only way I can get there by Saturday morning. You guys are teaching me how to be bad. That's why I'm the king of the power naps. Like, when I get tired now, I, I, I'll pull over and I will lay across the seat. I'll put my, my, my feet up on the, on the passenger seat, my back against the driver door, and I'll, I'll rack out for like 15 minutes, maybe 20. And then, dude, I am full of piss and vinegar after that. I'm ready to go. Well, that's, that's the way you have to do it. Because in 15 minutes of sleep is better than, than anything, than nothing. Right. Because you need that. You need to close your eyes for a little while. If you lean against the steering wheel and you have your hands on the steering wheel, if you wake up sometimes, you might get startled. You might jump out of the truck because you might think someone's coming at you. That happened to be in I've the sleeper. I parked in front of someone with a, that was leaning against the steering wheel at night, turned on my high beams and honked my horn, and the guy screamed and ju- opened the door and jumped out, thought he was going to get in a crash. <laughs> I that did. is and mean. Then, then call me an asshole for doing it. I'm like, hey, hi, Frank, how are you doing? Said, you son of a bitch. Yeah. That happened to me in the sleeper. I, I was racked out. I was in uh, Nebraska, and, uh, I, and instead of backing in like I normally do, I, I pulled straight in. And uh, I'm in the sleeper. I didn't even close my curtains. I didn't even take my clothes off. I laid, laid in the bunk and fell asleep. And then I opened my eyes and sat up. All I could see were these brake lights ahead of me, and my brain went, dude, why are you in the sleeper? You're getting ready to rear end somebody. You should be behind the wheel. And I jumped up, grabbed the steering wheel. I'm hitting the freaking brake and just all panicking and shit like that before I realized the truck wasn't even on. (laughs) Well, how about when you pull up to an intersection and the guy next to you, and you're looking at the guy next to you, and he's backing up. Yeah, but you don't always back it up. You think you're brave. You think you you're still moving into the intersection. Yep. So you know put, what? You put hard on that pedal again. That <laughs> happens to me in my car. Just saying. Yeah, <laughs> that's good times right there. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> there was one time I was parked in the parking lot, and I lit the guy beside me was backing up, and I had just pulled in, and I thought that I had forgot to put my car in park. Yeah, it scared yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, there's things that happen. We, we we see it every day, right? Right. When we're out there trucking up and down the highway, we see a lot of that. And of course, we're up there and we're looking down, and we see a lot of things that happen in the cars as they go by. 
That is true. Some yeah. are disturbing. Some are entertaining to say. Some the are least. interesting. I'll oh, just yeah. say interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't even but want to know. <laughs> sure you do. Yeah, I, I do, but I'll Why wait. Mine, no. National Enquirer. Everybody wants right. to I should write a book about weird trucker stories, man. You this know, is shit that we've seen. But this brings me to another question, though, because my mom asked me this the other day. Is do truck, truck, the big rigs still have the like horn, like where you pull the cord to honk? Some do. Mine, okay. My Volvo does it. My Volvo is in the steering wheel. So it's got the city horn, which is two little buttons. And it just goes honk, beep, beep. Honk. Yeah. Then you got the big one right well, in the center. Some guys used to have the old train horns. Yeah, some, some people still have horns right? that came off a diesel train. And you, I had a separate little puller on that thing. I had to have a separate tank for the air because it drains too much air. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of people have yeah. those uh, train horns now. And you now. come up from people and you're at a train, you're at a train crossing. And there's no train coming. And you honk that horn and you squeak scare the hell out of these people. <laughs> they think there's a train coming. They, they're looking both ways for the train. They don't know where the train's coming from. Wow. So do, guys, yeah. so do truckers still to this day, if somebody, like, does the arm motion, do they still honk their horns? Scott? I do. I you do. do? I yeah, I'm sure they do. 100%. And they're probably it, disappointed when you honk yours there, Scott. No, the Vol- I, I'm a little horn. disappointed. I'm a little disappointed in my horn when I when I honk it in that Volvo, man. Because beep, I, beep. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's not the sound. The the, the sound is fine uh-huh. um, because you got the city horn, and you got the 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 one that's an air horn. But I would rather reach up and pull the cord because I'm like old school like that because it's just more yeah. it's more authentic and especially any kid. And I'll say this to any of our listeners that have children: if you're driving by. My truck and and your kid gives me the the honk the horn thing. I'm gonna honk at him. Yeah, I promise. Because kids love that shit. Yeah, I mean we grew up. That's all we did on road trips across the country. Yeah, <laughs> and the kids love it. Yeah, they yeah. all look at mom and dad. They're going to honk the horn, dude. Yeah, because my grandpa taught me that if you just do that, they'll honk their their horn. I'm like, nah. Well, and he I goes, had, try I had it. An old truck. <laughs> I, I had an old truck that if the air if the air dropped below a certain air pressure. A little tag, a little flag dropped down in front of my eyeballs. Oh. Oh, damn. Yeah. A little flag. You know, the, I drove an old 64 Kenworth. Oh, yeah, I had yeah. a 58 Peterbilt and stuff. The old, the old tagger would just fly down to let you know that it had low air. <laughs> and that's, that's at the same place there would be pulling air horns. So sometimes when I pull the air horn, the flag would drop down. I'd have to look down at my gauge to see whether or not it really dropped down or not. Holy oh, shit. wow. Oh my yeah. god! But I'll even honk for adults. Like I've I've had adults pass me and they gave me the honk the horn thing. I'll honk for you too. I'm all good. Oh, yeah. you're such an accommodating feller, dude. It's it's about having fun. Like seriously, you're on a road trip. You know, you want truck di- drivers to honk at you and just to interact. And I'm 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 good with that. Just like when I I used to run a CB radio, I would talk to anybody who came on that just wanted to chit chat. And a lot of them were just in cars, like uh, especially around Christmas time. Cars and pickup trucks coming back from, like, you know, visiting their families. I'll, I'll shoot the shit in the middle of the night. doesn't bug me. Yeah. You know, it, when I, I had my radio, I had two radios. I'd have one to listen to the truckers. And you had the other one I would talk to sideband on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So okay. I, I would talk both ways. I'd, I'd listen to what the truckers were doing, but I wouldn't do a lot of talking on it. I'd listen to Channel 19 for the truckers, but... I'd go off offline and, and, and talk to other drivers, or we'd go to another station, usually on sideband. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah, kids. And then, and then I had like scanners. I had also had a had an old scanner that I, that I had sitting on there, so I'd listen to the cops talking around me. I also had a Bearcat scanner where I'd listen to those cops talking. Every time I hit another state, you'd punch in a different state, and those cops would be talking to me. Okay. Yeah, because I remember... you have radar detectors. Now, it used to be uh, we could have radar detectors in the truck, but now they outlawed them as of 93, I believe. I think you're right. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, outlawed they, now. They told us we had to send them home. We can no longer have a radar detector in our truck. The be- one of the best CB calls that I ever had, though, I was coming back. It was on a Christmas, and I, I was coming through California on I-5. I was going north. I was just north of, uh, of Wairica. And I'm hauling ass, man. Speed limit in California is 55 miles an hour, and I'm doing like 65-ish. And all of a sudden, I was driving for May Trucking, and I hear, May, May Trucking, you got it on? And I get up on the horn. I go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this is the sheriff you just passed doing 68 miles an hour. Can you slow that down for me? Like, oh, shit. Yeah, I'll slow down. You have a Merry Christmas. Uh, thank you. remaining. <laughs> well, well I, I was going north of Arizona in Phoenix. And the cop pulled me over, and he says, I, and I was doing the speed limit when he pulled me over. But he said, I think you're doing more than that because your mud flaps were stick, sticking out the back of your trailer waving at me. <laughs> anyway, that was a minute left, so I'm going <laughs> to take off, and we'll, we'll continue this there next week. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks, Keith. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, bye. So here's what I meant by the tone has changed. I think I know where you're going with this, but okay. At first, he was, it was almost seemed remorseful, in a way, or at least, you know, like, hey. You mean when we first started talking to yeah. him? Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like a joke. Like, I was doing her a favor. So it just kind of took me aback. That's all. Oh, that's not where I thought you were going with that. Oh, do tell. Because I thought you were going with the fact that he's kind of like his, I don't know, he kind of seems distant since he found out they didn't find anything out there. Okay, no, I'll give it that, too. Uh, I... Even though he says he's glad his number is low, I kind of I am along uh, the same lines as what Breyer was mentioning. I don't think he's happy about it... his numbers are low. Yeah. I, he wants his numbers higher. That, that, that's just my opinion. Yeah, that's where I was going with that, too, that he says he's glad that the number is low. But, you know, there's that. Because uh, yeah. he doesn't have the clout that he had with eight victims because he only has seven now. You know, yeah, that's I, like I said, it, it just caught me off guard. That's all. It's no, just, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. It's just, it, I think he's justifying. Maybe, maybe, you know, why it just, it sounds it. like he's laughing about it. And oh. I'm just like, okay, this just took a turn for the fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see what you're saying, though. I, I didn't take it like that. I took it more like he's trying to justify it. As opposed to, you know. Well, part, okay, I can, I can see where you can take it like that. Because even my sister said the same thing. But him laughing about it, almost like a joke. Well, I thought I'd do her a favor. At that, oh, yeah. It just kind of got me. You know what yeah, I mean? Like no, it, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, because it got to my sister, too. My sister and I were talking about And I'm that. not upset about it. It just kind of clicked different. It hit differently with me this time. Yeah. No, I get it. You I mean, get it. You have anything you want to add to this? No. All no. right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook. God damn it. Yeah, you know I'm serious when I say God damn it. Citizens, did you lose something? 
No. Oh. Citizens, <laughs> a brutal nation. That's right. And interact with us. Yeah, I had to make sure you didn't lose something before I went on with what I thought you were going to go. <laughs> <laughs> interact with us. Let's all have a good time to discuss this. Let me tell you. Let me let, let me know what you think about, about yeah. this episode. Yeah, you let know, us know. If, if maybe you got the same vibe that I did. Um, yeah. It's, you know, I promise that we don't bite. Well, I, I don't bite, but, you know, Squatch just had, she has rabies. No. I got my rabies shot, remember? Oh, that's right. You got the tag and everything. <laughs> I hate you. Oh, my God. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And if you're hearing this on, or any part of this on anybody else's show, our podcasts are lying. David Bastard. We'll talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Okay, now.